one of the reasons why I stepped into doing this work at all. It was after I had given birth to my son and, uh, you know, I, I was really comfortable just fine going to mass on Sundays and, you know, praying the rosary occasionally. But um, it was the first time that it felt like this actual spiritual dryness, like something was missing. And it was kind of like this search of you needed to move and find that, um, like that purpose. And um, it was immediately the migration thing. And, um, even if I was tired or something, it was literally this like pull on my spirit to get up and, and keep on going, even if it didn't make any sense. Welcome to the Prophetic Justice Podcast, where we talk with people who love God and work across a variety of social justice professions. I'm Tatiana Bergam, and I'm on a mission to learn from my fellow peers in the field about how God speaks to them and the impact it has on their work. Let's take a look at social justice through a supernatural lens. Thank you everyone for joining us today. I am so excited that you're here. So in today's episode, we are going to talk with uh, Karina Brasita, a wife, a mother, and a founder of the New Wave Feminist Consistent Life Ethics Center. This is along the Texas-Mexico border in Juarez, Mexico, and it provides life-affirming hospitality for migrant mothers and their children. So this facility supplies temporary housing for vulnerable pregnant or parenting single women and their children as they wait out their asylum cases. From serving migrant families on the U.S. side of the border to working with women in Juarez who've experienced sexual violence, Karina has been working across social justice for the past decade plus. So thank you so much, Karina, for being here. And I am really honored to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to do this with you, especially just meeting you in person and seeing the heart they have for women. That's awesome. Yeah, we met in Nashville. And if how long, when was that? It feels like a fever dream, to be honest. It feels like years ago, but it was a couple months ago. Oh my gosh. That was like a life-changing that was life-changing. So um, yeah, for our listeners, we had met um, just doing a, it was called the Feminist Women's Retreat. And it was a bunch of women and our lovely friend Patrick um, who came together and we all have this passion for justice and life. And so we were all able to come together in a space and really just share hearts with each other. So that is where you and I first met. We really just hit, I think there was like a, it felt like just a soul connection between our passion and heart and just like who you are as a person and a mother, which is really connected on that level too. So it was really cool. You use the right words. It was life-changing. I feel like it did a 360 on the path of the work we were doing. Yes, a hundred percent. Can you tell us a little bit, I guess, starting from the bigger picture, what is New Wave Feminist? Uh, so New Wave Feminist is a consistent life ethic um, for life feminist group, and which means we're womb to two and pro-life. I would advocate uh, the way, same way we would for racial justice issues and migration as we would for the unborn and uh, their mothers. Okay. And how long have you been with New Wave Feminists? Um, it feels my entire lifetime, but I <laughs> um, can't remember exactly, maybe going on four years. Okay. Um, we would be doing a huge disservice if we n- did not talk about the wonderful Destiny Hernan De La Rosa, who is also the co-founder of this center that you all have and then also the founder of new wave feminists and i love if you wouldn't mind sharing the story about how you two came to be um just such close friends i love this story and i couldn't have picked a better story for you know a friendship it's um, so true just the way we work together um i grew up in the pro-life movement um just I think very conservative pro-life movement we were praying at the clinics and um, you know, marches and all of that. And when the migrant crisis uh, hit El Paso, I remember all my teenage years and all my, um, all the people that I work with, I'm like, oh, well, this, like, there's pregnant people there and there's babies. And they're like, surely all the people that we worked together for this, they would join forces for this other. It was just, um, because for me, it was never a political issue. Um, I didn't understand the, just the nuances of that until much later. And there was just no pro life help or people that identified as life and we're actively working in this issue and i was uh, sometimes instead of going over uh, by the car i had to walk over on foot and i had just come from this um uneventful meeting with this pro-life uh, group in the area and i was already really frustrated with the movement and then destiny calls me up on like video chat and you know i was already frustrated that she just got like all the ire of the pro-life movement and i said well you're pro-life well, come, come on down and help me out 
and I just it was so rude and um didn't think she was actually gonna come down and she actually called her out yeah. you're like I dare I you I love that and she did she came down two weeks later and um she met me and she actually started going into just the most difficult areas of what is just um areas that were completely run down in the shacks and literally she was ready to get her in the mud yeah that's amazing I mean talk about well it doesn't surprise me at all because destiny is just that type of person to get in it um in the mud and just she so new wave feminist if you have not heard we'll put the uh website in the show notes for everyone who wants to check out new wave feminist uh, website but destiny the founder really has this idea that all life matters it's not just this idea of the pro-life movement is it's just babies but she has a heart for every single person and believes that every life is valuable and so i think you two share that in a big picture way but then what you you're doing in, in juarez is so specific as well and so a lot of us have an idea because we all may see on the news what's happening at the border but that's all we're seeing. Like we're not in it like you are. So can you give us an idea of even just today as you were working, like what is happening at the border, um, at least the part of the border where you are right now? Sure. So um, right now, you know, this past week, Title 42 was lifted and uh, basically Title 42 is this Trump era policy that asylum seekers could like on a basis of health, you know, they, they get this like obscure u.s law to return migrants to mexico to wait for the asylum cases there instead of um in the u.s based on on the pandemic and it was recently upon the courts and it was lifted so that means that that no longer applied and usually when there's you know these big changes there's always a media frenzy and then it's just the right and left and everybody spins it however they want to spin it but at the end of the day there's still people that are seeking asylum and desperately to be in the u.s um, and I think that the narrative that's missing is that it's a humanitarian issue. It's a dignity of human life issue. Right. Um, so implemented right now is Title Eight, where it's very possible that instead of seeking asylum in the first country they go to or the U.S., they're going to have to apply directly within these centers that the U.S. wants to build in the countries of origin. So seek asylum from the country that they're running from within their own country. That is so backwards. Like... It's horrifying. That's terrifying. So how were people responding to that? How are these women? I mean, like, I would imagine they they understand how just terrifying that is for them. Um, it's basically trying to do away with asylum. Um yeah. how it, you know, the this administration ran on the platform of being for migrant and being for advocate for them, but um personally in the past, you know, years that I've seen it it's um been about the same if not worse okay when you just said you didn't realize the politics that come into play what politics do come into play i guess is um i didn't realize how divided um certain issues were that were seen as solely within one camp just how much the pro-life issue was seen within the republican much the immigration was for the democrats and it almost feels like there's more loyalty to the party than actually seeing the Mm -hmm. the needs at hand and uh, not being able to, even though you maybe internally recognize that, uh, wanting to jump over and help because you feel like you're betraying your party. Right, right. Those party lines are really, really strong. Um, so you all started this shelter. And prior to that, you what, were, what was the work that you were doing um, before it, the shelter came into play? Um, so initially when I started with this, uh, migration work, it was during, uh, MPP, Migrant Protection Protocols, and, um, there was this encampments on the Juarez side, and there was a lot of, um, migrant children, um, that were being, um, uh, caged underneath the bridge, and they were just mm-hmm. needed the most basic water, um, yeah. and medical care. And then from there, we, we needed shelter, so I, um, helped expand a shelter within a parish, and okay. um, it was kind of my initial thought of there needs to be a very specific focus in migration and pregnancy and in um, the healthcare. So it had, you know, between 30 and we went up to like 70 at one point when it was um, a very big wave of people. Um, wow. But I felt that there was such a 
need to something much bigger than that to actually, you know, just have this network of support. Right. Did you see a lot of politics play out when you were working in that uh, with the parish or was it just like we what we are doing here needs to be bigger, essentially? Um, it's really interesting because being in the like living on both sides of the border, you're able to see just American culture politics play out, especially yeah. uh, within our churches. And I'm Catholic and, you know, there's the Catholic American politics here in the U.S. And then if you go to Catholic Mexican parish, because, um, you know, the U.S., uh, you know, laws are not, you know, an issue. The migration Mm -hmm. thing wasn't seen as a political thing the way it was here. It was really interesting to see that. How do you navigate that? That's a lot for anyone to have to try to weave in and out of those dynamics. Um, actually navigating that has been really hard just to find, um, cause I don't want to shop around for a parish or community cause you need to grow with your community right. and it's hard, but it's balancing between, um, like, this is what I believe is, is the truth and how we should treat other human beings. And also making sure that I stay in community with the people that even if we don't agree on those issues, that's right. a little bit different. Right. The collaboration piece is really the hardest piece of this type of work. Um, I feel like that's where the challenge for me has always been is trying to really be at peace with people I need to be at peace with and try to build relationship for the greater purpose instead of just like how I feel about a system or, you know, that can be really challenging. Where where is it? We're actually a faith community and we're brothers and sisters and then like as you were starting, as you were working at the shelter at the parish and what was happening within your own personal life or within, with your spiritual life, like what was going on internally and spiritually for you around that time? One of the reasons why I stepped into doing this work at all, it was after I had given birth to my son and, uh, you know, I, I was really comfortable just fine going to mass on Sundays and you know, praying the rosary occasionally, but yeah. um, it was the first time that it felt like this actual spiritual dryness, like something was missing. And it was kind of like this search of you needed to move and find that, um, like that purpose. And wow. um, it was immediately the migration thing. And, um, even if I was tired or something, it was literally this like pull in my spirit to get up and, and keep on going, even if it didn't make any sense. During the time that I was at the church parish, it, I was actually one of the most spiritually fulfilling times when I felt just um, so in tune with my community and my family. It's now transitioning to this other, um, you know, this next step that it's been a little bit more difficult in um, making sure that I, just all the years of everything that you've seen to still yeah. want your faith and to yeah. finding that church community. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Can you share how many kids you have? I have three kids. I have kids. Um, a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a four-year-old. Okay. And so was that with your middle child or that you had that moment of like kind of coming to a deeper sense of calling? Uh, my youngest. Your youngest. Okay. My youngest, yeah. I feel like there's something, um, and I've talked to like a few other moms who are also like doing similar work or different similar work in the same field. Um, but there's something that happens when we're pregnant. I feel like that's so spiritual mm-hmm. because it's a spiritual time in our lives, right? We're growing an actual human, but I have talked to so many mothers who have found their calling, like while they've been pregnant, there's something like, I don't know what it is. God is just really speaking to us. And maybe we're just more aware because we're more aware of our bodies and what's happening around us. And we're in that like protection mode as well. But there's something I just keep hearing is like, when women have been pregnant is when God has just been speaking so boldly to them. And I think that's really beautiful. I think it's um, the fact that we are just just so open to this other human being and we start seeing this other human being in this very intimate, maternal way. Yeah. Um, and just other people's hurts uh, become so much more pronounced. Yes. Yes. That's such a beautiful way to put it. I guess even backing up a little bit before that, was this a issue that your family or like as you were growing up, like was your family really involved in social justice issues? Where did that come from? Um, I think it could have been a lot of things. Uh, I did grow up in this Catholic community that was a Jesuit missionary community. And they had just my whole life was them going into Juarez and serving in different ministries and 
the migration issue wasn't um because we it's a lived reality here on the border i didn't quite radicalize them until much later i think that a lot of moments in my life growing up led to that or just you know pointed me in that direction but i was definitely uh, when i was walking over the bridge and it was the one of the first days of mpp and there was literally thousands of people underneath the bridge and uh just to paint a picture and um there's this walk over bridge and all from Juarez, um, Paso Juarez. And if you stand up there, you can see directly down and just see where they had all the, all the people caged. And, um, I remember no, you're talking down. like literal cages, like these people are in, uh, it was one big, uh, all just okay. shoulder to shoulder, uh, fenced in with, uh, chain link fence. Okay. So they're okay. just all under, they were going to be processed, but they were there for days and days. And, wow. uh, I remember this man and his child, and when he, he cried out to one of the um, border patrol, and he said uh, in Spanish, "Ten misericordia de mi hijo," and in Spanish, words are very literal, and mm-hmm. it's very intense to say like, "Have mercy on me, ten misericordia," and that really did resonate in my Catholic faith. Of, yeah. you know, this is Jesus. This is literally Jesus and a migrant, um, and, and I just felt incredibly convicted in that moment. Whatever I did, I needed to do something about it. I couldn't just um, my arms crossed. Right. Wow. I I think that is the way you stated it. This is Jesus, the migrant. Like, I don't think I think it's a privilege in the United States that we don't think of often Jesus in that way, but he totally is. And so, as you are currently working um, in the shelter right now, like, how do you see your faith come into play and where do you see Jesus the most, if that makes sense, at least in the work? I think right now it's been a real just, um, understanding what the body of Christ is and, um, what that community is and how dependent we are on one another. Um, and not even myself in the position of, you know, being able to serve them, realizing, um, that how close all of us are being to being in that situation and how uh, we might one day depend on somebody to to help us out of um, this really desperate situation. That is so true. I mean, I think like even in the work that I do, I, I see myself in all these situations and how it can take like one really tragic thing to be in that spot or even something not so tragic. Like we are just one situation away from being on the other side and needing that support. And so, yeah, that's so true. That's really, really beautiful. How do you find peace within the work that you do? Or do you find peace in the work that you do? Um, they've asked me this a lot and something that I like roll over in my head. Um, and I said, there's not the same thing as having joy as being happy because I feel like I have a lot of joy. Um, but at the same time, interlaced with that is just the, the real sadness and the situations that you have to see. But even that, there's that overwhelming peace. But, you know, from a faith perspective, I do work a lot in the secular area and a lot of the perspective on this is humanitarian aid. And I see a lot of burnout within my colleagues. And um, at this conversation, there's a very big difference between humanitarian aid and Christian charity because humanitarian aid um, has an end in itself and there's no continuation. And they feel like there's hopelessness. Well, I mean, they tell me I give this, you know, food here, but then the next person needs food and the next person. Um, but there's so much hope in the fact that if you're doing it for Jesus and you're doing it for this eternal view, um, that one small glass of water, what small piece that you have um, doesn't feel like this endless hopelessness. There's so much more to it. That's really powerful and something that I think we don't think a whole lot about when it comes to these social justice issues is that if we do it in honor of Jesus and because of Jesus like we shouldn't ever stop like there's no way I mean there's hopefully an end to people's suffering but there's not an end to the giving and to the pouring into other people like you do I guess my other question for you is how has this work played into your personal life and how you operate as a wife and a mother? Um, that has definitely been a big learning curve. And um, it's something that I do like to just be an open dialogue with other women, because especially growing up in conservative circles, there's this um, idea that a wife and a mother is this very specific mm-hmm. role, like the way that you uh, femininity is portrayed or the way that mothering is. And 
I do believe that um, mothering could happen in a lot of different ways. And a very big relief and lesson has been that we weren't ever meant to do it alone and being able yes. to mother in community. And when I bring my kids to the shelter and I'm doing this with them, because I was like, how do you do it with kids? It's not that I'm doing anything Amen. apart from them. They're literally there with me. We're, yeah. Um, maybe not in the way it would present if a man were doing it. And maybe yeah. it takes a little bit longer, but like little That's by little amazing. Part. And your yeah. kids get to see your work's life played out in front of them as well. How do they feel about it? How do they see everything that you're doing? Or can they put it into words? I don't think that they realize what it is because yeah, they've just grown up in it. Maybe they, when they're older, they'll be able to reflect on it because um, for them, they think uh, shelter life is normal or they call them like, oh, mis amigos de Guatemala or mis amigos de Honduras. And, um, they've even questioned before now their teachers because the migration mm-hmm. issue even comes up in school and they don't understand their teacher's words in comparison to what they see. So I'm letting them. That's awesome. I think it's so um hard sometimes when we work in this field or like work in these issues that we like want our children to be as open handed with these things and open minded with these things as possible. But the world has like such a different view of these things. And so it's, I think, really honorable that you're able to just kind of let it soak in and let them process how they are just going to process it and like allow them to have their own thoughts about it. Because it can be so easy to kind of be like, no, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. I'm not thinking it's the right way. I'm just hoping that the actions speak louder to them than the words. Because I feel that it can swing the opposite direction really quickly. Yes. As a mom, when you feel like, please don't do this. And then yes. it feels like, oh, that's it. real. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, I guess how, because you have a mother's heart. A hundred percent. Like you have the heart of a mother. And so I would imagine that every person that comes into that shelter feels so loved and so seen by you. And so how does your faith work in that way? Like when, uh, when women and children come in, what does that look like, um, from a faith perspective for you? Uh, I really do think that the feminist uh, like gathering that we had really was a, a life-changing right. experience. It's just the way I started leaning more into like, feminine intuition and um, yes. being with them in that way. And I think that the way I mothered them is actually kind of the way I mothered my children. I think that, um, I totally feel when they need just a lot of comprehension, but I also uh, like this word that to be radically empathetic, you need to have radical boundaries. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I have to be the person then to say a lot of hard truths sometimes um, because I know that crossing over, they need to be ready for yeah. that. Um, so praying with them, just uh, building community with them so that they know that, you know, where my heart is. Um, but also it's not all sweetness and just this, um, it, it's hard sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to say some things and do it in love is a really um a gift I think that not a lot of people have but I can see that you really have it that you're really able to say say things in love and um even if it's discipline it comes across as like you're saying it because you care so do do you do like um groups with the women in the house like do you guys do any type of like bible studies as well or is it more individualized like based on just wherever they're at, obviously, too. But um, doing this, it's been such a blessing to see just because um, I firmly believe that just how every person is a unique expression of God. I believe that cultures are a unique expression of God and just, you know, a blessing to be able to live that with somebody. And um, Haiti and Guatemala and Honduras and everybody comes with their, you know, traditions and um so every new group that comes in, it's a little bit different. We have this, uh, we call it the feminist too. It's just this little space that we kind of very hippie, like everybody sits on the floor. I love that. But it's been so powerful sometimes when we're just all, sometimes we've been pouring out to each other and praying over each other that getting to that place has been difficult lately where we need to purposely pray to be able to get to the prayer part of the, yeah. want to call it spiritual battle or whatever you'd like to call it. Um, but it's, just uh, seeing that's just uh, different ways people teach you how to pray. That's beautiful. Wow. Do you see, because with this work comes a huge amount of spiritual warfare, like the work that you're doing. I mean, you are literally at times looking Satan in the face and just like 
calling on God to help you do what you do and to help the shelter function as it needs to. But also outside of that, I would imagine there's people that want to cause harm to some of these women, or at least pull them into other directions that are not best for their lives. And so how do you, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you, in a spiritual sense, come up against it? Well, like I was telling you earlier that I'm having a little bit of difficulty lately with my faith walk uh, for a lot of reasons in in my personal life. Um, but I have seen just the difference in how effectively sometimes I do the work. Um, and I know God's being very, very patient with me. And things are a lot slower now because of that. But things would flow so much different when I was very consistent in my prayer life or in my uh, just my church community. Um, or even sometimes in the people getting to us. Because yeah. um, uh, sometimes, you know, the women have gone to us and they say, I have no idea how wow. I got here. Um, and it was after a period of very purposely praying with a group of people or even with the women at the shelter themselves. Like they, some of them have no idea how they were able to, to find their way. wild, actually. I mean, that's totally God, 100%. Do you have like a covering of prayer? Do you like, do people reach out to you who are like, I want to be praying for you? Like, how can I pray for you? Is I know lots of people want to help what you're doing, but do you have like a prayer covering? I have um, periods in time. I Sometimes when things are really, really bad, it got very merciful in any sense of this one person that, you know, it's like, I'm going to be praying for you. But uh, I don't think people realize just how important that yeah. part of the work is. And if you really have people just because um, praying is, isn't easy. It's just it's spiritually sometimes draining yes. or it's time dedicated. Yeah. So it is just a really huge way that people can support the work. That's awesome. I think for anyone listening, um, who really wants to help you in a realistic way, like this work is hard. And I truly feel that without people covering me in prayer, I wouldn't be able to do some of the work that I've done. And so I would love to be one of those people who just really prays for you on a consistent basis. And then anyone listening, I think that's a great way to really um, breathe life into you and your family and then the work that you're doing at the shelter. Would you mind if I share something about that aspect? Yeah, please do. Um, I have noticed and I did grow up in a charismatic community where um, we believe that, you know, the power of blessing is in just speak blessings on your children. But we're also taught not to uh, speak curses on people or to pray over people if that's the case. And every time I have a very big uh, news outlet on the work that we're doing and I try not to talk about politics, just, Mm -hmm. you know, focus on the person, dignity of the person. And I know I shouldn't, but I do. And I read the comments and I just see how many like words of death are said against us or the shelter or the people. Yes. Um, and we really feel like even kind of prepare for that. And it's a time when we're just um, have a lot, even if, right even before we have the interview come on right after. It's just like this period of like upheaval. So and yes. blessings our way. A hundred percent. And that's the spiritual warfare piece. Like, Satan does not want you doing what you're doing and he's going to do whatever he needs to do to try to stop that, try to stop the truth from getting out. And so for people who are listening, um, Karina and destiny did an amazing 60 minute, uh, interview and, um, 60 minute, I don't know, was it CBS, CBS, CBS yeah. that came down to Auras, right. And did like on the ground interviews with you about the shelter. That's what she's talking about. Is that the comments I'm guessing that you were seeing after that came out and aired were just like, probably a lot of them were really negative and just speaking words of death over your work that you're doing. Yeah. Cause you know, with every 10 people, there was like the one, but um, when mm-hmm. millions of people see it, it's uh... what would you say is like, this is kind of a weird term, but like, what's the spiritual temperature you would say in Juarez, like in the city as a whole, because you are, the shelter but obviously you're working within the city and you have to really collaborate and make connections to other services and like be part of the community as well so do you find that there's like a deep understanding and support for the shelter and the work that you're doing just talk a little bit about that if you could I don't know if I can read the temperature right now I think that uh, definitely right now I feel like God is telling us to hold back because there's a lot of like, crisis and all the organizations, everybody's moving and there's just a lot of chaos. But I really feel like that's not where we're supposed to be right now. And just um, um, hold back before we actually uh, move in into other yeah. areas. Um, I feel like 
there's a lot of support for the shelter because we're a female shelter and we have very specific people that we serve. Uh, but also the pro-life aspect is a new thing for people and there's immediately a kind of like a suspicion. I think that there's a suspicion for uh, if you're very pro-migrant, but you know, you're in the very pro-abortion movement in Mexico, you're very uh, way of thinking. I think that our work is, you know, they want to support it and they kind of mm-hmm. do. The, They're questioning it a little this? bit. Wow. That's something that we don't think a whole lot about. I think um, at, at least at where I have seen uh, in different parts where of the U.S., like it's not something that we have to think a whole lot about. I guess one thing we talked about when we were in Nashville was the importance of art in your community. And so I don't know why. I just would love if you could talk a little bit about that because there was some things there that we talked about that it's almost a protective factor for your shelter. Yeah, and I think that um, that has been the period of what God, I feel like, is calling me to hold back from everything else and uh, to run the shelter is going towards because I feel like there's these really big organizations that do really well on like the legal side of things and just um, protocols and they're very institutionalized and I think that that works with very big organizations with a lot of budget um, but I realize like accepting what we are and what we're called to do we're not that um, we're a community of women and yeah what we are is that we're mothering together and we have uh, dignified housing and shelter and uh, we want to bring arch so that people come from all over the U.S. or Mexico come in give hospitality we have these art programs and um also the community realize that this is um mm-hmm. this is what we're offering we're in the space of community not so much this um space of politics right and why is art so important within that if you could share a little bit about that just because of you know as i think art is so important i think it speaks to the human heart yes. and i think it yeah without it um we're missing a big part of our humanity um, yeah. But also, art isn't seen as a threat to politics or to local communities, whatever they may be. And uh, putting that out there, just that we're in our community, which is um, kind of make people very comfortable with us. Yes. Oh, I love that. Um, the way you said that. And I see you totally as an artist. Like anyone who has been around you, I feel like you have such an artist like soul to you. Like you just love color. You love like unique jewelry I just love it and I just think that um you are like an artist through and through and so I I really can see like the future of the work that you do continuing to bring art into the spaces that you're in and that almost being like a like a bridge a bridge from one person to the other of being able to get to speak to whoever you're talking to and get them to see things through an artist's lens but also bringing peace to the places that need peace. So I think a lot of people understand it, but we don't practice it because we're so burnt out and we're so tired from doing the work that we're doing that we can't, our like creative brains are maybe doing it on the side, but we're not bringing it into the work that we do on the daily basis, but it's crucial. And also it's so healing. We need to feed ourselves and and our souls to be able to, bring it to the people that we're we're with because I do see that so much that we get lost in the paperwork and the data and everything else that just that intimacy and that just openness and vulnerability I I struggle with that sometimes and art helps me get that back yes are you um working on anything currently art wise um we definitely are working on what the mural on the shelter is going to be on the outside yes um seeing like this being very purposeful okay this is because i want every aspect of it if people come or then you see it whatever glimpse they get of it they see that it's speaking life to them and Amen. speaking our pro-life feminist views and speaking just to educate the community or um i thought about uh having this uterus uh, full of flowers and oh my goodness i love that with the women that you work with and the children that you work with, have you had it, um, do you see a lot of women coming back into the shelter? Is it once they leave, are they like in the, they're in the U.S. and they're not necessarily going through your shelter doors again? Or what does that look like? Um, so right now what the, you know, inform a little bit the people are listening to us right now, there's this TV one app where people can apply online and it takes months to, for their asylum appointment. It's not a guarantee. It's just a, an appointment to be seen by an officer. And the women who have been able to get appointments and legally cross and get receive their asylum application continuance in the U.S. Uh, but there has been situations where they have presented themselves and they've been deported to other borders. Um, 
and they have traveled back down along the taken them sometimes weeks um and they know that this is a landing place this is your home and they've even told me coming back here as soon as I saw like I literally felt like I was back home that's amazing that mean I mean that's amazing okay so is that I believe I saw a John Oliver clip about um and where they mentioned you your um show like the 60 minute piece that you did but they were talking about the app that you're talking about right right that blows my mind that it is an app that people just have to wait on like that's crazy and then also if you're seeking asylum people that are sometimes coming in from the jungle or kidnapping situations and you don't have a job and you don't have a phone and you need a very up-to-date phone if you have you happen to be poor or poorer than most um there's some women that you know they've been in the quadis for months and they just haven't had access to right so won't be able to do that that's so i don't even know so with the title 42 being lifted does that change this piece of it or no um it's pretty much continued the same way right now it's an article that came out where i said that everything was eerily quiet Mm -hmm. because it feels calm right now there's i think uh in other borders i think things are not great there but i feel like it's going to come to what is soon right what do you see as really the future for yourself and for the shelter like as uh, and this issue too that's kind of like three tiers there i guess like then within the shelter and then for yourself just personally um an asylum situation i really do think that this is a civil rights issue and i think it's a decade-long fight and i think that it's maybe something that i even pass on to my kids for them to fight it in a different way um it's just kind of always even if we win rights we always have to kind of protect them and fight for them um for the shelter i'm uh, really hoping and you know, we put it in both me and destiny's hearts that we are going to have a house on the u.s side of things do you all have a house in mind at all on that side on the u.s side i'm gonna go ahead and share this and i haven't yet with anybody um but there was this uh community house uh, right at the base of one of the bridges and the pastor that was there um he has health issues and he's moving back uh, to maine and he offered uh the space to new feminists to um pick up on the work so we oh held back on that a little bit while this but we feel like Okay, if it's meant to be, God will make it happen. Oh, that gives um, me chills. You know, no matter what the obstacles are. Yeah. Um, but we feel like even if it's not that house, we're pointed in that direction. Wow, that's amazing. Would you? Would it be close enough for you to run or, yeah, I guess to be like helping at both of them? Um, I think definitely um, directing at both of them because I have seen how other yeah. shelters work at like even in Houston, other borders that they have different or even in El Paso, there's okay. um. Uh, our director that has like 17 sites and he just sets up community leaders for them. It's just kind of the, Got it. the moral head. Um, and I think that that's how it run. And I think that God's even bringing the person to do that. Um, and that feels called to do that. That's beautiful. Oh my goodness. So um, how can people, before we get into what you're, you see yourself doing personally how can people help with that piece of the work uh definitely monetary donations i think and uh, volunteer in person um you realize that uh people that are called to do this for an extended period of time just to live in community and you can help us run the house and that just means uh the way that you would live in your own home and just um mm-hmm. the order and just help everybody live in the community. that's awesome and where can people donate because <laughs> i want them to go uh, uafeminist.com we have the you can look at the stellar shelter and we have a donation link there and just a little bit more information that's on that's awesome i'll put that link um for folks to look at in the notes so they can go donate all right so what is coming up on the horizon for you um i think definitely and you're talking about the art thing i've been talking to destiny and uh, one of my friends claire she has this um artisan program in, in boston and i really do feel that um i yes. need to be setting a foundation for the shelter and what that's going to look like for for doing all that so um it's really hard for me not to jump into like as an activist I like trouble and like oh no like we should go you know protest here yeah yes <laughs> that's so real and I was like sit home and read this book or just like be prepared that's really hard <laughs> oh my gosh I feel that <laughs> so are you thinking you'll go to Boston to be because she has like an organization yeah she has an I amazing so, organization right? and I want to talk about her she- St. Joseph's School for Artisans or Home for Artisans. My name is Shia. Have me just two or three days just to be in community with an artist and see what the dynamic is. 
teach me how yes. to do some stuff that would be amazing oh that would be so cool what type of art are you feeling like you are called to do or start with I guess definitely just incorporating a lot of my Mexican heritage into bordado and just um there's a lot of work on art activism with uh wording and just um clothing and uh, crocheting and a lot of textiles and textures yeah and um I've been feeling called for a long time to do murals but I think that that's like um a year's long training to be able to actually uh, implement one. Right, right, right. If I remember correctly, and thought you had said that Juarez is a pretty artistic town. Like, there's a lot of artists in that community. Yeah, there's a. I think that Juarez has amazing underrepresented artists, and just uh, because the board is such a politicized place, um, just the way that the issues are presented, and just speaking to the heart. And there's this uh, all along the Rio Grande. There's miles and miles of like cement and all of that is covered with murals it's just kind of like a history walk of all the events of wow. the past decade oh, it's really beautiful oh that's so cool and so are you so uh, the mural that will be on the shelter are you gonna work alongside the artists in the community or i kind of want to do this uh cultural exchange and um you know, work with people on the paso side call people from the u.s side and also uh, mexico parts of mexico so that um people can feel that connection to each other through the art oh i love that so much i'm so excited to see this mural it's gonna be you should come down yes oh my gosh (laughs) i do like my art is like um stick art like stick people Oh my gosh, but that would be so cool. I definitely will be visiting you at some point here. I think what you're doing is amazing. Well, what's one thing about immigration or a few things about immigration that we get wrong um, that you are hearing like in the news or just things that you're like, this is not what it is. Like you don't understand. What would you say those frust- those things are, which tend to be frustrations sometimes <laughs> with certain issues? Okay, let me take a deep breath because you hit an activist. <laughs> uh, like, what, yes, let's go. Um, one of the very big things right now is that, and something I fight just as a pro-lifer, um, the use of the term illegal, um, you know, first it's like dehumanizing language, just, um, it separates you from the person, just the way that, you know, pro-lifers always talk about the baby and the person, and we try not to use the word fetus because it's, um, you know, dehumanizing, it's depersonalizing. Even if the people there are undocumented, which they're not, uh, seeking asylum is legal, it's, uh, U.S. asylum code and the people that are presenting themselves right now are you know they say why don't you do it the right way that is exactly the way that the U.S. has presented them the steps to do you they're going through the legal process right presenting themselves at the port of entry and even if you see a lot of people that doesn't mean that they're illegal and the other thing too is that they there's all of these uh, I I know you see it on the news so much especially on El Paso it's such a big Mm -hmm you know, focal point of the Sacred Heart and the bus station of people that were just in the streets. And yeah. I did see a lot of uh, media saying, look, look at what they turned El Paso into and look at like the, you know, the Democrats did this. And you see human beings in the streets. And instead of uh, realizing that these are people in need and crisis, they're yeah. spending it like, look at these people dirtying my streets. Like, I think our focus should be the human being and not the state of things which are easily replaceable right and a human being is worth so much more than some later trash in the street mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh i love that so much anything else i feel like that was so good you could probably keep going for a while yeah. and i really want to hear more so if you wanted to say a few more things because i this can feel your own fire yeah um also when you know i've seen this for years already they always on the media the videos that they take are of males of, of young males and they feel like all oh, the young males are coming over um, and they don't realize that because of water systems, like sometimes the families are separate. These are family units. Some, a lot of sometimes the women at my shelter, their husbands are sometimes already in the U.S. or they're still being processed in detention for a month on end. That doesn't mean that we have, just, and even if it was just males, they have human dignity and, um, you know, should we treat it as such? But I think that there is this unspoken narrative that wants to be told that, like, look at these scary, you know, brown men. Their family units, and um, I've been in this like, for months and months. People are like, "The streets of El Paso are so dangerous," and I take my kids there. Um, these people have just suffered so much to get here. Yeah. And wow, thank you for sharing that. What is something that you wish people would do about it? Because it's great to talk about it, but really, what do you what do you need? And people who are doing this work in other parts of the border. 
Um, I always tell people you definitely like support your organizations that you feel are directly working with people and um, you feel like called. Like God will put it in your heart. Like who, who am I supposed to be supporting? They always talk about these major policy changes and immigration reform. I think is years or maybe even decades um, ahead of us, and people are suffering now. And the biggest thing people could do, I think, is if your you know your church communities or even sometimes in your Facebook circles, and um, it really matters how we speak about, about other human beings. Even if you don't agree with the issue, it does affect the way that the cities and our communities and our churches uh, are receptive to them. Because there are some churches here in El Paso that are, um, you know, the way they view the migrants is like reception and bring them in and hospitality. But if your own church circles even are um, hostile towards it, that affects, it doesn't matter what the policy is um, in Washington. If our church community is here, for example, Sacred Heart, it's like, this is what Jesus has received the migrant. That's what's going to be implemented. Um, so that's something everybody could do. Even um, calling out people like the term, even starting with the term illegal, changing that to the culture of life, um, that would make huge changes individually and just this whole, like everywhere. Amen to that. That's, thank you for saying that. I guess specific to your shelter, like what role has the church played? Because you had worked in a parish and now you're working in a more secular environment. This shelter is separate from that. And how does the church breathe into what you're doing and help what you're doing? Or is, yeah, just what's your experience with with that? You know, as a Catholic, I think that, I'm going to speak just from my my Catholic perspective. Um, I think that, there is a lot of sometimes um, we see like the priests and like the bishops and like, the, you know, all these like uh, people in power and we're saying like they should be doing something. And um, I realize that I am part of the church, too, just as much as they are. And I need to call myself as much to move towards um, that hospitality that I, if, I'm, if I'm calling them out, I'm, I need to be doing it for myself and I can do just as much change as they can. Um, I think that the church doesn't realize that we put it on our pastors or on our leaders, but we, we have that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think a piece of it is that we are the embodiment of the church. Like what we do, we are at the hands and feet of Jesus. We're going to wrap up here soon, but one thing I really wanted to ask you about, so we had talked about this too in Nashville is like, I think you're fairly prophetic. I think you, you can walk into a space and sense what's happening. I feel like you can hone in on certain things. Have you seen that play out in your work at all? Yeah, definitely. There's, um, I think uh, Destiny has a lot of this too. And there was this, uh, because a lot of the work that I do, because it's not just migration, I feel a huge call to, you know, bring to the pro-life movement, the issue of dignity, human life and, and migrant. And also in the Mexico side of things, just being pro-life and also feminist, it's just the, the feminist movement in Mexico and uh, Destiny, I attend the women's marches. And um, I think people don't realize that the change in the movement uh, in Mexico is going to come through them. It's not going to come through the, I don't know if people know about the blue pro-life movement. It's going to be through them. Um, I don't know if anybody saw Jesus Revolution, but... Um, yes oh it's so good it was kind of like i think the feminists in mexico are the yep. hippies of this generation where like they're the undesirables and nobody wants them and they're crazy I love that. um but it's precisely where i think god wants to be yes oh that's so beautiful i love that wow with that i guess my next question and the wrap-up question is what is god telling you? what's on your heart what is god sharing with you um in this season for the work that you're doing and then um just even personally definitely for the work i feel that um like i mentioned earlier the learning to step back and just to be okay with it not uh, going 100 miles an hour um and laying the foundation down i keep on receiving that like laying the foundation down for what's next um and trusting that just because we have this momentum right now doesn't mean that he can't bring that up again later on like it's i need to be doing um what i feel called to do and not what uh is popular in the moment um and in my own life i think that just uh getting into that rhythm again of having a family prayer life which has been hard recently uh, and just uh finding that faith community that i can i can lean on yeah you're not alone in that too i think um 
it's really hard, especially when you're in the thick of this type of work that's so heavy. I think Satan really uses that exhaustion that comes out of that to really like deflate what is happening, like the momentum in our family and like God coming into our family in that way. Satan just really comes up against it. And so that's something I noticed too, as I was working um, with people who had experienced trafficking, it was like so heavy. It was such a heavy issue that when I got home, I just couldn't, like, it wasn't going to (laughs) happen. So, oh, the last thing before I pray, where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you? And um, if you could just share the web, the New Wave Feminist website one last time and for folks to get a hold of you that way for donations. So it's uh, newwayfeminist.com. And then if they want to email me, it could be Karina at newwayfeminist.com. Awesome. All right. So if anyone is listening and really feeling called to do something about this, please reach out, go to the website, donate and um, and get involved because this is so crucial. So, um, all right, let's let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for Karina. I thank you for um, her strength. I thank you for the gift of um, kindness and gentleness and love that you've placed in her spirit, Lord. Right now, I just pray over her shelter, God. And I ask that every person in that shelter, from the staff to the children and the mothers, um, that you will just cover them with protection and peace, Lord, that um, as Karina steps into the shelter tomorrow, she will even just feel a deep sense of just your presence and um, the peace of the Holy Spirit's residing in that shelter, God. And I just thank you so much that you have sent her to do this work, Lord. And I pray that you will give her strength, Lord, that you will just um, show her where she needs to spend her time with you, God. And also just help her to see you walking alongside of her each day, Lord, that she can just sense your presence as she is um, putting her kids to bed at night, as she's um, getting up in the morning as she's working at the shelter, Lord. And I just pray blessings upon her and her family, God. I pray that you will just protect them and just bless them for this work that they're doing, Lord. And I just pray um, that you will raise uh, Karina up to uh, continue to do this work, but in different ways that she can see, just have different downloads of things that can be done um, through art and through different healing practices, Lord. And I just pray, God, for a deeper revelation of who you are in your heart for her, Lord. And I also pray, Lord, that you would just send um, just people who can cover her in prayer, Lord, that you will just start to send people who um, have a heart for prayer and have a heart to just really um, daily, consistently um, pray over her family, pray for protection, pray over the shelter. Lord, I pray right now that you will just be stirring people up in their spirit as they're listening um, to reach out and just to be willing to even form like a prayer group of sorts to just cover all the work that New Wave Feminist is doing, Lord. And I just thank you so much for this magnificent person. And I just pray blessings upon blessings over her life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Prophetic Justice Podcast. Before you go, show some love by leaving a review, subscribing to the show, and sharing this episode with a friend. You can connect with me on IG at Prophetic Justice Podcast or by email at propheticjusticepodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out the show notes.